Welcome to the teacher and the preacher. This program is all about the importance of coming to understand that the Christian community and the Jewish community have more in common than we have been led to believe. Rather than seeing each other as against each other, we need to come to a point of seeing that the statement that our country is a Judeo-Christian nation is much more than just a mere statement, but truly reflects the reality of our nation as it was and should remain. Every week there will be an interesting dialogue about the issues that have divided Jews and Christians and how we can move in bridging the gaps and see that by talking about the issues, we can better move in the direction of having more unity. Unity that will heal and help bring together a nation that is under attack by the forces of atheism, secularism, and a breakdown of family values. Join us now for a discussion between the teacher and the preacher. Hey, welcome to The Teacher and the Preacher this weekend. Thank you for your listenership. We so appreciate it. Look forward to connecting with you every week. So you've got a Christian pastor and an Orthodox Jew who engage in weekly raw dialogue, and many, many times that's enhanced with some special guests, and today is no exception. We always start the program like this. I'm the preacher, Dave Magara. And I'm the teacher, Harold Berman, and we had on the show last week, Elliot Chodoff, and Elliot was such an amazing guest and had amazing information just about the world we're living in and some of what's going on behind the scenes that we thought we'd have him back because there's still a lot more to discuss in terms of our world. So Elliot Chodoff is a political and military analyst specializing in the Middle East conflict and the global war on terrorism. He has presented and published papers on a range of subjects concerning security, military strategy, and the Middle East. And his paper on combat motivation and effectiveness in infantry units has been on the recommended reading list of the U.S. Army War College. His articles have appeared in the Washington Times, National Post of Canada, National in-, in the National Interest, Front Page Magazine, and numerous web journals. Elliot is the founder and senior editor of Mideast on Target, an e-journal and newsletter. Elliot is a major in the Israel Defense Force Reserves, is a graduate of the Home Front Command. He also has seen action during the 2006 Lebanon War and in Gaza, Gush Katif, during the evacuation in 2005. So, Elliot, welcome back. Good to be with you. And last week, we actually ended the show by giving your contact information. Uh, So if you wouldn't mind giving that again for our listeners who may not have been on the show last week, uh, because I think after they hear what you have to say, they they may have some questions. Sure. My email is Elliot, E-L-L-I-O-T, dot Chodoff, C-H-O. D-O-F-F at gmail.com. Great. And for those listeners who missed the show last week, and I think after you hear this week's show, you're going to want to go back and and hear what you missed last week. And you can do that actually at our archives, which you can access on the Teacher and Preacher website. It's www.teacherandthepreacher.com. And you can go to the broadcast page and then connect, and it's all there. So last week, we spent a lot of time discussing Iran and a lot to talk about there and all that's going on and with Iran vis-a-vis Israel and vis-a-vis the world. And maybe we can maybe move south a little, and uh, but a place Iran's still very much involved with, and, and talk a little bit about Syria. Uh, I think, you know, it, it's been such a moving target and it's been going on for so long. Elliot, maybe we can talk just a little bit about where things are now at this moment. Well, at this moment, uh, Iran is attempting to solidify its position in Syria. Uh, We talked a little bit about Russia. Russia's doing the same thing from the other side. Uh, Syria is a kind of interesting case because the the regime there 
uh, came under massive domestic assault from its population. And here I, I have to mention, I'm, I'm not going to tell you about all the ones I got wrong, but I said from the outset that the Assad regime was not going to fall. He wasn't going anywhere. Uh, of course, with a lot of help from his friends, his friends including Russia and Iran, Hezbollah. Um, so he's held. But to say that he's won would be overstating it. And what's happened is that we have an, an essentially extremely weak country with a weak regime that's holding on, beholden to countries like Russia and, and, and Iran. Now, for Russia and Iran, that's a very good thing. They want a stabilized but unstable and weak Syria because that gives them the opportunity, A, to stay in there and B, to do whatever they want in there. Mm. What Iran wants is a number of things. One is to solidify their position vis-a-vis -vis naval bases on the Mediterranean. I'm going to skip over that because it, it has less impact on Israel. They want to maintain their open conduit to be able to supply their agent Hezbollah in Lebanon. And I say agent, not proxy. Hezbollah, we can talk about them if you, if you like, but Hezbollah is a wholly owned subsidiary of the Iranian Revolutionary Guards Quds Force. And last but not least, they would like to push their military and proxies, Syrian and, and Iraqi proxies, up to the Israeli border on the Golan in order to open a military front there. So Israel's been engaging that for a couple of years now with primarily airstrikes against Iranian positions, um, movement, supply, bases in Syria. Inflicted a considerable amount of damage, but all in all has not succeeded in convincing the, Syria, the Iranians, excuse me, to give up on their plans. So they're moving slowly but surely forward, and we're not really stopping them. We're slowing them down. Now, going back to Russia, because uh, Russia apparently last month, they delivered advanced MiG-29 fighters to the Assad regime. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're obviously, as you said, they're protecting their interests. But uh, I also saw that um, Russia, Turkey, and Syria recently, they condemned uh, Israeli strikes. They said they're destabilizing, which is remarkable when you think about the actions of right. Russia, Turkey, and Syria. Right. But, you know, we're basically, uh, where where is this going? I mean, it is, they've, you said they've, we've set them back, but uh, like how much, like how much back? Like how? No, not, not much. Okay. Not much. Uh, I, I think the best way to look at what we're doing to, to the Iranians in Syria is a worthy objective, a worthy strategy, brilliant tactics, and strategic failure. Uh, in other words, the objective is to prevent them from getting from our to our border without having to go to war with them. The strategy is to inflict as much punishment as possible to continue to convince them not to do it. Very worthy. The tactics are strikes again, mostly airstrikes that have been riotously successful, with virtually no losses. We lost an F sixteen a couple of years ago, and both of the the crew parachuted ejected safely, injured but safely. So losses have been really negligible. 
We've engaged their air defenses, their Russian-supplied air defenses, missiles, the works, and taken out target after target. Tactical, on a tactical level, brilliant success, almost un, untarnished success. Has it had the strategic impact that it was meant to have? The answer is no. And it they means... Just, they just build again. Basically. Right. And they, and they push forward a little bit more. We're hitting them, obviously, not on a broad front. So we hit one place, they build somewhere else. We hit there, they've already moved forward somewhere else. Uh, so ultimately, we're, we're losing the battle very, very slowly. How close are they to the border? Not that close yet, because the, the last leap they're going to have to do with considerable force. So they're, they're building up in central and southern Syria, certainly in eastern Syria. They've done that already. They're using those bases also against Iraq. They're, they have time. They're not in a hurry. Right. But let's also keep in mind that regimes like the Iranian regime don't operate on Western democratic timetables. Right. Right. Well, this is an interesting piece because as uh, many of our listeners are fully aware of, uh, Israel is located in a very difficult neighborhood. And this is just one of the neighbors we're talking about. Uh, in the meantime, there has been a, a growing warmth among uh, the Egyptians, the Jordanians, mm -hmm. and the Saudis in regards to their relationship with Israel, um, mainly, I think, driven by the concern regarding Iran. But nevertheless, there's been some— And, 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 and terrorist organizations. Right. But nevertheless, there's, there's been some, some uh, gatherings, some connections, some strategic planning. There's been— um, <laughs> trips made by the prime minister to areas that no one would ever believe he would actually be allowed into or that he would go to. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's it's been very interesting. And one of the things that's putting some of that current relationship and the warmth uh, to the test is this idea of trying to annex in Judea and Samaria. So when we're talking about Syria— and we're talking about the neighbors, not to just change the subject, but to see how interwoven all of this is. When you start to talk about an issue that's going on just in Israel itself, it really grabs the attention of the neighborhood. And it's, um, it's one of those things that uh, has been fairly big in the news. It's, it's uh, calmed down in the last week or 10 days, but uh, I think... We here in the U.S. were expecting uh, President Trump to make a statement in regards to the move of Israel to annex in Judea and Samaria. I don't know how many of our listeners know how big of an issue this really is, but it's one of those that um, really is going to test the relationship that that Israel has with its current neighbors uh, and the warmth that's been going on there. What What if we talk about this just a little bit? in terms of the same kind of, you know, uh, strategy that's being looked at and how we, how we function with Syria. Well, the Israel's have to look at that right now if they make this move about how they function with some of the, the other neighbors uh, in, this, in this particular decision they're trying to make internally. Well, first of all, um, I'm, I'm not convinced that it's as dire as it's made out to be. I think that there'll be a lot of noise but I'm not convinced that there'll be anything substantive. 
because as you said earlier, our relations with these neighbors are not based on affinity. They're based on necessity on their part. And that necessity isn't going to go away. Having said that, uh, first of all, I, I'm going to take issue with the term annexation. It's, it's the word that's used, but it's, it's incorrect. The territory that we're talking about, which is primarily the Jordan Valley, all of Judea and Samaria, or what's referred to as the West Bank, is legally disputed territory. And it has been since the armistice agreement signed in 1949. It doesn't belong to anybody. Annexation is an occupation for that matter, is a sovereign state dealing with territory that belongs to another sovereign state. This doesn't. And it's an extension of sovereignty, which is different, but primarily it's an extension of sovereignty into an area that virtually all Israeli leaders since 1967, I should, that goes back a little too far, since the late 1960s, have agreed should never go into anybody else's hands. And I, I think a quick history here is relevant. These, Israel took that territory in 1967 during the Six-Day War. The Jordan Valley in particular was taken in order to stop the Iraqi army, yes, the Iraqi army, which was on its way through Jordan, from crossing the Jordan River and cutting Israel in half at its narrow waist at Netanya. Immediately after the war, Israel offered that territory back, and, and, and those days was being held by Jordan. And the, the Arabs in general refused. The Syrians, the Jordanians, the Egyptians, all refused to take back the territory that was taken because they would have had to make peace in order to get it. And their response was what was known as a three no's, no peace, no recognition, and no negotiations. For the next half century or so, a little less than that, the world has been trying to get Israel to go back to 1967. And Israel's made a number of offers, officially starting with the Oslo Accords and going up through the 90s and into 2000, the most recent offer was made by Ehud Olmert uh, some 14 years ago, and they were all turned down by the Palestinians. Now, what was interesting about these offers is that, one, they were trying to turn the clock back to 1967, and two, is that every time we, we made an offer, they turned it down, we made them a better offer. Now, there's something interesting about that, because if I make you an offer and you refuse it, and I make you a better offer, why on earth should you take the better offer when you think that if you refuse it, I'll make an even better offer? Well, and in fact, I think we've seen that, that there was a time, if you go back to, say, the time of Rabin, uh, the idea of offering Jerusalem, uh, you know, as, as a part of Jerusalem, I should say, East Jerusalem as the Palestinian right. capital, uh, wasn't even on the table. It was unthinkable. And then Barak... Uh, Ehud Barak made it thinkable, and ever mm -hmm. since then, the entire world—you know—the starting point is just assumed. Exactly. Of course, East Jerusalem is a Palestinian capital, even though there's no actual political claim to it. Correct. So now, we move into the 21st century, and a very interesting thing happens. George W. Bush writes a letter, a presidential letter to Ariel Sharon, in which he says, among other things, and the most important thing, as far as I'm concerned is that any future agreement will have to take into account facts on the ground that have happened over the years. Now, he's referring to settlements, but not just that. He, he left it vague. 
In other words, in 2004, 2005, for the first time since the Six-Day War, an American president has said, no, we're not turning the clock back. The point of negotiation has to be from where we are at the time of negotiation. When the Obama administration came into office, its official position was, there is no Bush letter. But we said, but there is. They said, but there isn't. Said, but there is. They said, no, there isn't. Former Bush administration officials said, but there is. The Obama administration said, no, there isn't. There is no Bush letter. There is no American commitment. Now, that's important because that, that speaks to some of the timing of what's happening right now. When Trump put his plan out there that included the possibility of extending Israeli sovereignty to areas that Israel has no intention of handing over to anyone because that is our eastern security border, now the Netanyahu government and Netanyahu Gantz government is faced with a reality that, and I'm not making any prediction, but in November, there may be a new administration that doesn't recognize this policy. Right, right. So there's a use it or lose it element to this. Yeah. It adds some pressure, doesn't it, to a decision. And, and you know, just uh, you, you did a great job uh, clarifying for us, uh, Elliot, uh, this word annexation versus, you know, recognizing Israel's sovereignty. And I think one of the things that sometimes uh, we, we, we don't pay enough attention to is uh, is um, we just want the bottom line. We don't pay any attention to the fine print of what's actually going on. Mm -hmm. But in in the uh, current administration's Middle East peace plan, it, it says in there that the U.S. will recognize Israel's sovereignty in the areas that the plan outlines. And, yes. and it's not that the U.S. is declaring sovereignty, but the Israeli government is doing that. And once it, it declares that officially, the U.S. is ready to recognize that and, and fully support, throw its support behind that. And I think that one of the conundrums that Netanyahu Gantz uh, find themselves in is if, if we don't do it while the current administration is in, we may not get any support whatsoever if it, that, that regime is changed over to the far left. Dave, here, here I'm going to soften that. It doesn't have to be the far left. It can be a, an administration from either party, I'm not going to get into American politics here, but it could be from either party. Not, you know, not every pro-Israel administration has been Republican, and not every anti has been Democrat. Right. It's been both ways. Good point. And Israelis, Israeli leaders, I think, have some knowledge of history. And if and if you if you'd like, I can I can walk you through the. Uh, the history of administrations, but I'll, uh, let me just, just say that you will not find any memorials to Dwight Eisenhower in Israel. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he wasn't a Democrat. So it's not a question of, of winning, who wins or who doesn't. We can assume and make it as a basic assumption that a president who is in office will stick by what he has said, but there's no guarantee of that either. 
a new president from whatever party can turn around and say, what my predecessor did is inconvenient to my politics and diplomacy, and I'm not recognizing it anymore. Right, right. So it's, I think it's much more slippery than Than what right appears left. to be black and, and white, yeah. yeah. Right, 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 left, if you will. So let, let's go back to potential fallout, and I, I completely agree with you. I think the you know, some of our uh, Middle Eastern neighbors are are driven to a relationship out of necessity, and that's not going to change. But what about we look at Europe, uh, we look at China, uh, places that they're saying, you know, they'll just say point blank, this is illegally occupied, and despite all of the history and everything that you you outlined, uh, you know, that they, that is their stance. Um, and the European Union is uh, one of our largest trading partners. Obviously, China is a large trading partner. Uh, do you see an impact there? If there is an impact, it won't be because of this. This will be an excuse. Hmm. And the, the fact that they're using terms like legal and illegal is, is the hint. It is blatantly not illegal. It may be bad politics. It may be good politics. That's the difference between politics and law. And the fact that they're saying illegal rather than saying we oppose this for political reasons solidifies their position. In other words, they're, they're looking for an excuse to take Israel on rather than to work with Israel. But this is old news in, in major portions of, of European, the European political world. My guess is ultimately it's going to blow over. I think they're making a lot of noise because they want to be on the Arab side. I think the Arab world is making a lot of noise because it wants to. It, it seems to think that it needs to do that in order to stay on its own side. And they may be right. They, they, remember the the Arab world, and today that includes a good part of Europe, um, have created this Israel boogeyman to their population, and. They can't back down all that quickly. And I'm talking about Israel's so-called friends like Egypt and Jordan, and not just the Johnny come latelys like Saudi Arabia and the Emirates. Right. So they're going to have to scream. And I wouldn't be surprised if they scream. Will they do things practically? Well, I, Dave, I know you, you've heard me talk about how I'm, I'm a closet supporter of BDS. If they really hate Israel, let it, let them boycott us, but right. let them be honest about it. Right, right. Um, i I don't see I don't see them stopping use of Israeli technology. I don't see them stopping use of Israeli medical right. advances. Yeah. Um, even the terrorist organizations have issued the, the the Islamic organizations have issued fatwas permitting the use of an, an Israeli cure vaccine to coronavirus. <laughs> yeah, it's a totally hypocritical movement, um, and I, I always love the way when you when you call out those who who embrace it as not just you know being genuine about it. But what what's the general mood of the of the people of Israel in regards to this uh, current issue? Um, it's mixed, and I and I think it's 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 mixed within within the individuals, not between the individuals. Um, I'm thinking for myself, I'm in favor of it, but marginally. In other words, I can, I not only hear, but I buy part of the argument against it. Mm -hmm. This isn't a, a simple do it and be done with it. And it's all falls on one side of right and all falls on the other side is, is wrong. 
Um, and I, I think this is actually one of those classic uh, cases that my advisor in grad school, uh, Professor Morris Janowitz, re was referring to when he said, the only real decisions you have to make are choosing between bad and worse. <laughs> yeah. Well, before we run out of time, let me just uh, pick your brain quickly on what's going on currently with uh, Israel in regards to this uh, COVID-19. Is it is it causing Israel uh, a lot of unrest? Is it causing Israel to want to take steps backwards? Are they still quarantining people who arrive in Israel? Uh, uh, look, first of all, it's causing enormous economic damage, um, and and particularly to sectors that can't afford it. The you know the the, the big high tech operations are 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 operating. The guys who are on the falafel stands are hurting. Yeah. Um, tourism. Obviously, tour tourism doesn't exist, and hotels are, are closed. So you know, the hotel stockholders are hurting, but so are the waiters and the uh, the busboys and and the the kitchen staff and the people who take care of the rooms and that sort of thing. They're hurting much more. So that's that's a problem on its own level. We shut down early and well, and I think we. Did a good job on that. Uh, it also allowed the system to to learn as it went. We opened up, and numbers have been going up. At least in terms of numbers infected, have been going up significantly over the last couple of weeks. Numbers of critically ill and numbers on ventilators have not gone up sharply. They've gone up a bit, but not sharply. And I think that's what everybody's watching right now, at least in the leadership. Um, but the the, they're, they're starting to tighten the reins again, and we'll have to see. One of the crazy things about decision-making with, with coronavirus is that everything's on a two-week lag. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you, you do something now, and you only realize whether it was a, a good idea or a bad idea two weeks from now. Yeah. Well, it sounds to me like uh, this is a great reminder for our listeners to do what we admonish them to do many times throughout the year on this program, and that is to remember Israel in their prayers and, uh, and to hold them up um, in, in uh, our thoughts as well. We, we so appreciate you joining us uh, last week and this weekend for the program, Elliot. It's just been my, absolute my uh, pleasure. value add to us. And, and once again, you can reach Elliot if you'd like to correspond with him at elliot.chadoff at gmail. And uh, we encourage you to, to, to take a moment and scratch out a note to him. But uh, great to have you on board, and uh, we always wish you God's best. So may the God of Israel who never slumbers or sleeps, may he watch over Israel and the Jewish people, and may that same God bless America. We, we look forward to uh, connecting back up next week. And until then, you can contact Harold and I at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. Check out our website, teacherandthepreacher.com. God bless. The Teacher and the Preacher will be back next Sunday for another discussion on how Christians and Jews can come to once again proclaim that the United States is truly a Judeo-Christian nation. To contact the Teacher and the Preacher, email them at theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. That's theteacherandthepreacher at gmail.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and give you shalom.